and twist the tap. Allah says the thief. The greatest of gifts that we ask for. When we come across many individuals, Allah does not tell us how many people. After he departs in every opposition. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In an eloquent sermon. سيدنا ومولانا أمير المؤمنين ومولى الموحدين علي بن أبي طالب speaks of the Quran and he states the following إن القرآن حي لم يمت indeed the Quran is alive and it shall never die and it renews itself as the days and the nights. And indeed, the Quran is as new for the last of us as it were for the very first of us. And that is why when we gather in the month of Muharram, in the month of Safar, especially commemorating the martyrdom of Al-Imam Al-Husayn ibn Ali salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi, we must make sure that the job of the member of Imam Hussein and the pulpit of Imam Hussein, this universal platform or the member of Imam Hussein is dedicated to the Holy Quran. The most important theme or the central theme within our majalis, our congregations, should be the Holy Quran. For the Holy Quran will bring honor to us. The Holy Quran will uplift us. The Holy Quran will bring respect to us and to our communities. And we should not turn our majalis into the majalis of stories or fictitious tales. We should, we should not turn our member or our majalis into a stand-up comedy or stories that are irrelevant in the lives of individuals living in the world today. But we should go towards the Qur'an and we shall be inspired by the Qur'an. Many of you have probably heard of the story of Bishr. But we may not know what was the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Imam Musa ibn Ja'far to Bishr. They say that of course Bishr was a drunken man, he was a sinner, and he had turned his home, his residence into a nightclub. Every night there was drinking, every night there were alcohol, every night there were belly dancers in his home. One day Bishr leaves his home, he's walking into an alley, he finds a piece of paper, he kneels to pick up this piece of paper and he finds it to be a ripped piece of the Quran. A ripped piece of the Quran that was dirty. So he took this piece of paper, he washed it, he cleansed it. He had some atr or perfume in his pocket, he put it on that piece of paper. He kissed it and he put the piece of paper into a broken wall. 
the Quran immediately spoke to Bishr. Not in a language that is heard, but in a language that is inspired in the heart. The Quran says, O Bishr, you cleansed me, you purified me, I shall cleanse you and purify you. You elevated me, I shall elevate you. You respected me, I shall bring respect to you. The same night, like every other night, Bishr went to his residence. The belly dancers came, the drinking began. While Imam Musa ibn Ja'far happened to be passing in his streets next to his residence. One of his servants came out to take out the garbage. So he looks at her and he says, who does this home belong to? She says, Mawlaya Bishr. It belongs to my master Bishr. He says, tell me, this master of yours, is he a free man or a slave? He says, how could he be a slave and, a, and afford such a lifestyle? No, he's a free man. Imam in response says, indeed, that's what I thought. She goes in. Bish says, what happened? What took you so long? She says, I saw a man, he was full of nur, full of piety. He asked me who this home belongs to. I said, Bish. He asked, is he a free man or a slave? I said, how can he be a free man? The man in response says, that's what I thought. In that moment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent the walking Quran to Bish after he respected the book of the Quran. Huh? After he respected the book of the Quran, Allah sent him the walking Quran, the representation of the Quran, the illustration of the Quran, the demonstration of the Quran. He sent him the Imam, the Ma'soom, coming to his door. And that moment was a life-changing moment in the life of Bishr. He ran out of his residence, barefoot, became one of the disciples of Musa ibn Ja'far. And today we have a huge dilemma in the West. We find that there are first generation, second generation, third generation Muslims in this country. We have many masajid. We have many Husayniyat, many Imam Bargas, and I'm not saying we have enough. But what I am saying is it's time for us to establish a Darul Qur'an. An institution that studies the Qur'an. An institution that researches the Qur'an. An institution that studies the Qur'an and more importantly, an institution that's going to handle writing the very tafsir in the English language according to the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt within this country. For today we have first, first, second, third generation Muslims living in this country. Many of them do not speak Arabic. They want to read the tafsir of the Quran. What do they do? They come and they ask Sayyidina, is there a tafsir in English of the Quran? That's according to the teachings of the Ahl al-Bayt and the answer is no. This man, this woman, this youth, 
They want to know the message within the ayah and how it relates to their life today. They want to know when this ayah was revealed, where it was revealed, who is it speaking of, the fiqh behind the ayah. How is it that they can gain spiritually from the lessons of this ayah? That's all found in the tafsir. And yet, until today, we don't have a single tafsir that can serve this purpose. So it's time for us to think of such an establishment so that we elevate the status of ourselves, our families, and our communities. And with that said, when we take the pulpit, when we take the mimbar, we begin our sermons or our lectures or our majalis with an ayah. And for those who concentrate on the tafsir within their majlis, they tell you when this ayah was revealed. Where it was revealed. How does it relate to your life today? What is the fiqh behind this ayah? How is it that you can gain spiritually from this ayah? What are the stories related to this ayah? But more importantly, many of us ask, why is it that when I hear one speaker speak of an ayah and he does the tafsir of an ayah, then I hear another speaker come and do the tafsir of the same ayah, but they're completely different. What went wrong there? I read the tafsir of an ayah in one book, then I grab another book with the same tafsir of the same ayah, but the tafsir is different. And it's time for us to explore the different methodologies of tafsir. So that before I speak to you tafsir, I teach you the tafsir, I examine an ayah and its tafsir, we ought to familiarize ourselves with the principles of tafsir, with the methodologies of tafsir. And indeed, we have five different methodologies of tafsir that are used in the books of the tafsir present in the Muslim world. First, is tafsir al-Qur'ani bil-Qur'an. Tafsir of the Qur'an using the Qur'an. Two, Tafsir of the Qur'an using hadith. Number three, Tafsir of the Qur'an using history. Number four, Tafsir of the Qur'an using the implicit and the explicit verses. Al-Mantuqi wal-Mafhum. And number five, tafsir of the Qur'an using reason, aql, or what's also known as philosophy, after your loud salawat ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. When we come across many individuals, they take one ayah from the Qur'an, and they say this is the Qur'anic perspective when it comes to this particular notion. And that is completely wrong. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
discusses one notion in the Quran, which could be, for example, transactions, which could be the concept of Tawheed, which could be the concept of Nubuwa, which could be the concept of marriage, which could be the concept of divorce. Allah, use, Allah discusses one notion, one topic in the Quran. But this topic is spread throughout the entire Quran and you cannot find one ayah that speaks the entire message when it comes to one particular subject. Let me give you an example. One pertains to our fiqh, Islamic law, and one pertains our aqaid and our belief system. When it comes to Islamic law and transactions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu awfu bil-uqood. O you believers, honor your contracts. If you have a contract, honor the contract. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, O you believers, لا تأكلوا أموالكم بينكم بالباطل إلا أن تكون تجارة عن تراض. Do not take away each other's wealth. Do not take away each other's money unless there is a mutual agreement. I give you this cup of water, you give me a dollar in return. There is a mutual agreement. I work for three hours for you, you pay me a thousand dollars. There's a mutual agreement. So someone comes and says, I've given a loan to my cousin, I've given a loan to my brother, I've given a loan to my aunt of a hundred thousand dollars. Okay? And there's a contract between us. And in the contract, I've said three months from now, you give me hundred and fifty thousand dollars in return. There's a contract. There's mutual agreement. The Quran says it's okay. It's not then when you look at the third ayah that says, Allah has permitted bay'ah. Allah has permitted buying and selling, but He has forbidden usury and riba. So when I look at the notion of contracts, when I look at the topic of buying and selling and business, yes, indeed I have to honor a contract. Indeed there has to be a mutual agreement, but a contract that is based on usury or riba and its essence is not permitted according to the Quran. That's when it comes to fiqh. When it comes to our belief, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and one ayah says, الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ يَدُ اللَّهِ فَوْقَ أَيْدِيهِمْ Those who give you allegiance, they give allegiance to Allah. Allah's hand is above their hands. Allah also speaks of His essence on the throne and how He has taken over the throne. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of the day of judgment. وَجُوحٌ يَوْمَئِذٍ نَاظِرَةٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرَةٌ And a day in which people will look at the face of their Lord. So does that mean Allah has a face? Does that mean Allah has a body and He's sitting on the throne? 
Does that mean Allah has hands? It's in the Quran. Allah in another verse says, لا تبصره ال... لا يتدركه الأبصار He cannot be seen and witnessed by the eyes, but he's felt in the hearts. So Allah does not have a physical entity. Another ayah, another entire chapter, Allah explains this notion and He says, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ اللَّهُ الصَّمَدٌ لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ كُفُؤًا أَحَدٌ There is nothing that is equal to Him. There is nothing that is like Him. There is nothing that be, could be compared to Him. But to those who do not understand the notion of tafsir al-Qur'ani bil-Qur'an will have hadiths in their book that Allah has three fingers and Allah has a beard. And Allah, for example, sits on a mule and comes down every Thursday to earth. And in the day of judgment, Allah will place his feet in the hellfire. Those are individuals who came and took every verse in the Qur'an independently. The second type of tafsir is tafsir al-Qur'ani bil-hadith. Tafsir of the Qur'an with hadith. And of course, a thousand four hundred years ago, a man stood and he says, Hasbuna kitab Allah. We only need the Qur'an. The same man, the same man had to fabricate a hadith to back his evidence up. He says that I and my daughter heard Rasulullah say that نحن معاشر الأنبياء لا نورث. If you don't need hadith, why are you using hadith? Fatima al-Zahra said to him, oh man, you said that you're going to stick to the Quran. I'm going to speak to you from Quran. وَوَرِثَ سُلَيْمَانُ Dawood. Sulaiman inherited David. You tell me that the Quran is enough, I'm speaking to you with the Quran. He says, No, I heard Rasulullah say, I heard Rasulullah say that we prophets do not leave back an inheritance. Regardless, tafsir al Qurani bil Quran is the most viral type of tafsir. Why? Because you read the Quran, it speaks of salah. You read the Quran, it speaks of zakah. But try telling me how many rak'ah salat al-dhuhr from the Quran. Try telling me how many rak'ah salat al-maghrib from the Quran. The Quran speaks of zakat. I have a hundred camels. What is the zakat on those hundred camels? I have gold. What is the zakat on this gold? I have silver. What is the zakat on the silver? I have horses. What is the zakat on those horses? I have silk. What is the zakat on those silk? It is the hadith that comes and explains those notions. That is why the hadiths concerning the Quran are divided into four categories. First category is the hadith that restrains and restricts an ayah. There's an ayah, the hadith comes and restricts the ayah. It limits the ayah. What do I mean? The Quran is limited by the Indeed. Allah says, the thief, you shall amputate his hand. The thief, amputate his hand. 
And today there are many Muslim countries and many Muslim governments where they take the hand of the thief and they amputate his hand when he steals a bag of chips, when he steals $200, when he, for example, is impoverished and needs to put bread on his table, he steals something, they amputate his hand. The entire world witnesses this and says, this is a barbaric religion. This person is impoverished. This person is in need. How can you amputate his hand? That's when those individuals took the Quran and neglected the hadith. What do I mean? The hadith comes and says, number one, restriction of the ayah that there shall be no poverty when this person steals. No poverty. And the state and the city that this person is stealing, there shall be no poverty. He shall not be in need of clothes, food, rent, housing, and he should lead an honorable life. That's two. Number three, the ayah says it's not the first, the second, the third, the fourth time, but he has to repeatedly make this a habit. Number five, the act of stealing should cause terror and the hearts of those who live in that city, knowing that, you know, they feel terrorized, they feel threatened, they feel they're no longer secured while the thief is on the loose. 27, some scholars say 32 restrictions before you amputate the hand of the thief. And I tell you, when the king of the country who steals all the wealth of the country steals on daily basis cuts the hand of the little guy it's the most pathetic manner of implementing the verses from the Quran another set of hadith is the hadith that specifies one limits, the second specifies. Allah says, pay zakat. The hadith says, zakat applies to cattle, the zakat applies to gold, the zakat applies to silver, the zakat applies to silk. Now, I have a hundred camels, how much zakat do I pay? The hadith specifies. I have a hundred sheep. How much zakat do I pay? The hadith specifies. I have silk. How much zakat do I pay? The hadith specifies. Third type of hadith is the hadith that explains the message of the ayah. Allah in 3333 says, Now many people will tell you, Ahl al-Bayt is the family. And what is the family? A family is a father, a mother, and children. So there the ayah must be speaking of the wives of Rasulullah and Rasulullah and his children. Tell him, yes, indeed, that's the definition of a family. A family consists of a husband, a wife, and their children. But the hadith comes and specifies what the ayah means when it says Ahlul Bayt.
The hadith specifies. The hadith says that when Rasulullah received 3333, 33, he took the kisa, he put it on to Ali, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein, and he says, Allahumma shahad anna ha'ula ahl bayti. They are my ahl bayt. This is what the ayat means when it speaks of the ahl bayt. If that's not enough and it's mentioned in Sahih Muslim, we go to Tariq al-Bukhari, Tariq al-Kabir, by Imam al-Bukhari that says after this ayah was revealed, six months Rasulullah would go and stand in front of the door of Fatima al-Zahra before every salah and he would say, Assalamu alaykum ya ahl al-bayt. إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَحِّرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا It's the hadith that explains the ayah. The fourth type of hadith is the hadith that completes the message of the ayah. The message of the ayah will remain incomplete without the hadith. And there is a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept the ayah that way. So that we understand the important position of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that we know there is no difference between the hadith of Rasulullah and the Quran that he has revealed to Rasulullah. Allah says, Aqim salat The ayah comes and completes the message and he says to you, Dhuhr is four rak'ah. Subuh is two rak'ah. Maghrib is three rak'ah. Asha is four rak'ah. The third type of tafsir is the tafsir using history. And I tell you, sometimes you have an ayah, and you have another ayah that also alludes to it and explains it. And you have hadiths that come and speak of the ayah as well. But in order for you to get complete clarity on the ayah, you ought to look at the history surrounding the ayah. Without the history, you won't be able to understand the message of the ayah. What do I mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of the battle of Badr in the Qur'an. But Allah does not tell us in the Qur'an the battle of Badr was in the month of Ramadan. Allah does not tell us how many people were in the battle of Badr, facing how many of the enemies in the opposition. The tarikh tells us. The the history tells us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to Badr, but history comes and tells me there were 313 people. There were two swords, there were two horses, four sticks, and the rest of the Muslims were carrying rocks. 70 people from the opposition were killed, 37 of them by the sword of one man. One man bought a single-handed victory for Islam on that day. Ali ibn Abi Talib. Indeed, when you look at history, you find that the superstar of the battle of Badr was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Allah alludes to the battle of Uhud which took place in the third year after the Hijrah. Some ayat also speak of it. Some hadiths may speak of it. But you have to look at history to know what happened in the battle of Uhud.
You have to know who manufactured the battle of Uhud, who was behind the killing of Sayyid Shuhada Hamza, who hired Wahshi so that he would kill Ali, Muhammad or Hamza. You have to examine history so that you read the poetry coming from Hind, the mother of Muawiyah, towards the soldiers standing in opposition of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, enticing them to kill the Muslims and Rasulullah. You have to read history so that you come across how Hind came and she cut the liver of Hamza. She cut the body parts of Hamza. She made a necklace out of his body parts. She ate the liver of Hamza. That's mentioned in history. History also tells us that in the battle of Uhud, the sword of Ali ibn Abi Talib broke. He came to him, he said, Ya Rasulullah, a man fights with his sword and my sword has broke. Then immediately Allah sends down Jibra'il. Jibra'il, take the sword, give it to Rasulullah. Rasulullah takes the sword and he gives it to Ali ibn Abi Talib. And he says, here is Jibra'il making the call, La fata illa Ali, la saif illa dhulfiqar. It is indeed history that tells us and reveals those facts for us. Another vital issue that it becomes clear to us when we read it history is the Iman of Abu Talib. There are many people, many Mufassireen, many Hadiths and the books of the Muslimin that will tell you Abu Talib died as a mushrik. But when you come to history, you find from the year 7 to the year 10, the Muslims were under sanctions, right? Nobody would sell anything to them. Nobody would buy anything from them. They were prosecuted. They were, they were killed. They were driven out of Mecca. A man by the name of Abu Talib came and he gave them his camp known as the camp of Abu Talib. Shi'b Abu Talib. For three consecutive years, he protected them. For three consecutive years, he spent money on them. For three consecutive years, he was the one that brought food and clothes and shelter to them. You tell me he was not a Muslim? Not only that, but he never once went to Rasulullah and he said, My nephew Muhammad, you're like my son. I raised you. You know how much money I'm spending on this fictitious story that you've come up with? This false prophethood that you've come up with. You know how much animosity from Quraysh I have to face? But he says to him, Oh Muhammad, until the last breath I take, I'm going to back you up in your mission and your risala. Not only that, when he sees his son Ali praying behind Muhammad, he says to his other son Ja'far, Go and become the second wing of your nephew Muhammad. And then you tell me Abu Talib died as a mushrik. But then there are also hadiths that would tell you Abu Sufyan is a mu'min. So when I look at this hadith that tells me Abu Talib 
or this tafsir that tells me Abu Talib is a mushrik and I look such I look at history and it tells me that he was the beacon of iman he was the staunch supporter of Rasulullah I reject that hadith I reject that tafsir and when it tells me that Abu Sufyan was a mu'min I say okay in every battle, the opposition, I find Abu Sufyan. In every assassination attempt, attempt against Rasulullah, I find Abu Sufyan. After he departs in every opposition animosity against Islam, I find his son Muawiyah. After Muawiyah dies in every animosity against Islam, I find his grandson Yazid. You're telling me that those people are mu'min and Abu Talib died as mushrik? And you know the problem is many Muslims don't read history. They're not willing to open up their own books. And indeed what makes this member of Imam Hussein extremely powerful and unique is that it speaks of logical evidence. It tells you exactly where in your book this incident took place. So you have two options. Either tell me that all my books are wrong, or accept that which is in your book that you also call Sahih. Another form of tafsir is the tafsir using the explicit and the implicit verses. Al-mantuqi wal-mafhum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in some verses He has explicit messages. For example, in one verse He says when you speak to your parents, you speak to them with kindness and you do not say off to them. This is an explicit message. Speak to your parents kindly. What is implied in the ayah? Implied in the ayah is that you, you have to honor them. You have to respect them. You have to obey them. You cannot hit them. If they're in need of your help, you have to help them. The ayah implies, the ayah explicitly says something, but that which is implied is much greater. Some of us read, I've seen that they go and they look at the explicit verses and they find the most minor way of that which is implied by the verse. But I'm here to say this. I'm here to say when Allah sends down an entire chapter known as Surah An-Nisa, that is the explicit message of the ayah. The explicit message of the verse. The explicit message of the surah. That there is an entire chapter discussing the affairs of women. What is implied is that Allah and the religion of Islam is here to honor women in our community. When Allah speaks explicitly of the seven sleepers of the cave and that they were youth, that is explicit. But that which is implied is that Allah honors the youth within our community. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly speaks 
against discrimination within the Quran, that which is implied is that Islam is against all sorts of discrimination within our community. When Allah explicitly speaks against slavery, that is explicit. What is implied is that Allah and the religion of Quran stands against every form of slavery. Whether it was the slavery that has been demolished or abolished and the slavery that is present in the world today. Last but not least is the tafsir of the Qur'an using aql, reason, our intellect. And I tell you, sometimes you come across certain mufassireen and tafsir, and you wonder what happened to this guy's aql when he was writing this. Really. Months back I was reading the tafsir of Surah Al-Jinn. There is a scholar, <coughs> known imam, his tafsir is present in every Muslim library. When he comes to the tafsir of Surah Al-Jinn, he says that it is possible for women to conceive pregnancy from jinn. A woman tomorrow comes, she's pregnant. He tells her, how did you get pregnant? She says, from the jinn. Imagine, woman in your family, community, and an Islamic country, how did you get pregnant? From the jinn. What happened to your aql when you were writing this? Another one of them says, Allah cannot punish shaitan in the day of judgment. Why? Because he created shaitan from fire. And when he punishes him, he's going to throw him back in fire. So how is that a punishment? Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein came to restore the teachings that had been hijacked from Islam. There were people who were Christians and Jews who would take the pulpits inside the masajid of the Muslim ummah and do magic. And create fabricated lies and twist the tafsir of the Quran. We know the life of Imam Hussein in the last 10 days of his life. Sometimes even the last day of his life. A man comes to Muawiyah, he says, it's time for you to appoint your son Yazid. He says, I don't mind, but the problem is that Hussein, I'm afraid of Hussein, he's not going to tolerate Yazid. He's going to stand against Yazid. All the rest of those guys, I can deal with them. We have a lot of money, alhamdulillah. But Hussein, he's very powerful. He's going to stand against my son Yazid. This man who was his advisor and happened to be Christian, says, no, I don't know Hussein. Who's this Hussein? You tell me Hussein, Hussein. He says, you want to see him? He says, yes. Says, okay, I'll give you directions to go see him. You enter the masjid of Rasulullah. You look at the right corner, there's going to be a man. He is speaking to the crowd of Qur'an and the hadiths of his grandfather and father, Amir al-Mu'mineen. And the entire crowd is so silent that you don't hear the blink of an eye. That is Hussein, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib. After the death of 
Imam al-Hasan and after the departure of Imam al-Hasan, the demise and the martyrdom of Imam al-Hasan, until the death of Yazid, there were 10 years. What was the job of Imam Hussein? The job of Imam Hussein was tafsir and hadith and the masjid of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.